0: Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Of Plymouth Plantation, William Bradford Chapter 10 The Pilgrims Seek a Site for Their Settlement and Discover the Harbor of New Plymouth, November through December, 1620. They thus arrived at Cape Cod on the 11th of November, and necessity called on them to look out for a place of habitation. Having brought a large shallop with them from England, stowed in quarters in the ship, they now got her out, and set their carpenters to work to trim her up, but being much bruised and battered in the foul weather, they saw she would be long mending, so a few of them volunteered to go by land and explore the neighboring parts, whilst the shallop was put in order particularly since, as they entered the bay, there seemed to be an opening some two or three leagues off, which the captain thought was a river. It was conceived there might be some danger in the attempt, but seeing them resolute, sixteen of them, well-armed, were permitted to go, under charge of Captain Standish. They set forth on the 15th of November, being landed by the ship's boat, and when they had marched about the space of a mile by the seaside, they espied five or six persons with a dog coming towards them. They were savages, but they fled back into the woods, followed by the English, who wished to see if they could speak with them, and to discover if there were more lying in ambush. But the Indians, seeing themselves followed, left the woods, and ran along the sands as hard as they could, so our men could not come up with them, but followed the track of their feet several miles. Night coming on, they made their rendezvous, and set sentinels, and rested in quiet. Next morning they again pursued the Indians' tracks till they came to a great creek, where they had left the sands and turned into the woods. But they continued to follow them by guess, hoping to find their dwellings. But soon they lost both the Indians and themselves, and fell into such thickets that their clothes and armor were injured severely. But they suffered most from want of water. At length they found some, and refreshed themselves with the first New England water they had drunk. And in their great thirst they found it as pleasant as wine or beer had been before. Afterwards they directed their course towards the other shore, for they knew it was only a neck of land they had to cross over. At length they got to the seaside, and marched to this supposed river, and by the way found a pond of fresh water, and shortly after a quantity of cleared ground where the Indians had formerly planted corn, and they found some of their graves. Proceeding further they saw stubble where corn had been grown the same year. And also found a place where a house had lately been, with some planks, and a great kettle and heaps of sand newly banked, under which they found several large baskets filled with corn, some in the ear of various colors, which was a very goodly sight, they having never seen any like it before. This was near the supposed river that they had come to seek. When they reached it, they found that it opened into two arms, with a high cliff of sand at the entrance, but more likely to be creeks of salt water than fresh, they thought. There was good harbourage for their shallop, so they left it to be further explored when she was ready. The time allowed them, having expired, they returned to the ship, lest the others should be anxious about their safety. They took part of the corn and buried the rest, and so, like the men from Escole, carried with them the fruits of the land, and showed their brethren, at which the rest were very glad and greatly encouraged. After this, the shallop being ready, they set out again for the better reconnoitering of the place. The captain of the ship desired to go himself, so there were some thirty men. However, they found it to be no harbor for ships, but only for boats. They also found two of the Indians' houses covered with mats, and some of their implements in them. But the people had run away and could not be seen. They also found more corn, and beans of various colors. These they brought away, intending to give them full satisfaction when they should meet with any of them, as about six months afterwards they did and it is to be noted as a special providence of god and a great mercy to this poor people that they thus got seed to plant corn the next year or they might have starved for they had none nor any likelihood of getting any till too late for the planting season nor is it likely that they would have got it if this first voyage had not been made for the ground was soon all covered with snow and frozen hard but the lord is never wanting unto his in their great need let his holy name have all the praise The month of November being spent in these affairs, and foul weather coming on, on the 6th of December they sent out their shallop again, with ten of their principal men and some sailors upon further discovery, intending to circumnavigate the deep bay of Cape Cod. The weather was very cold, and it froze so hard that the spray of the sea froze on their coats like glass. Early that night they got to the lower end of the bay, and as they drew near the shore they saw ten or twelve Indians very busy about something. They landed about a league or two from them, though they had much ado to put ashore anyway, it was so full of flats. It was late when they landed, so they made themselves a barricade of logs and boughs as well as they could in the time, and set a sentinel, and betook them to rest, and saw the smoke of the fire the savages made that night. When morning came, they divided their party, some to coast along the shore in the boat, and the rest to march through the woods to see the land, and, if possible, to find a fit place for their settlement. They came to the place where they had seen the Indians the night before, and found they had been cutting up a great fish like a grampus, covered with almost two inches of fat, like a hog. The shallop found two more of the same kind of fish dead on the sands, a usual thing after storms there, because of the great flats of sand. They ranged up and down all that day, but found no people nor any place they liked. When the sun got low, they hastened out of the woods to meet their shallop, making signs to it to come into a creek hard by. Which it did at high water. They were very glad to meet, for they had not seen each other since the morning. They made a barricade, as they did every night, with logs, stakes, and thick pine boughs, the height of a man, leaving it open to the leeward, partly to shelter them from the cold wind, making their fire in the middle, and lying around it, and partly to defend them from any sudden assaults of the savages, if they should try to surround them. So being very weary, they betook them to rest; but about midnight they heard a hideous cry and their sentinel called, Arm! Arm! So they bestirred themselves, and stood to their arms, and shot a couple of muskets, and then the noise ceased. They concluded it was a pack of wolves, or some such wild beasts, for one of the sailors told them he had often heard such noises in Newfoundland. So they rested till about five o'clock in the morning. After prayer, they prepared for breakfast, and it being day dawning, it was thought best to be carrying things down to the boat. Some said it was not best to carry the guns down, Others said they would be the readier, for they had wrapped them up in their coats to keep them from the dew. But some three or four would not carry their guns down to the boat till they went themselves. However, as the water was not high enough, the others laid theirs down on the bank of the creek and came up to breakfast. But soon, all of a sudden, they heard a great and strange cry, which they knew to be the same as they had heard in the night, though with various notes. One of the company who was outside came running in and cried, Men! Indians! Indians! And at that their arrows came flying amongst them. The men ran down to the creek with all speed to recover their guns, which by the providence of God they succeeded in doing. In the meantime, two of those who were still armed discharged their muskets at the Indians, and two more stood ready at the entrance of the rendezvous, but were commanded not to shoot till they could take fell aim at them, and the other two loaded again at full speed, there being only four guns there to defend the barricade when it was first assaulted. The cry of the Indians was dreadful, especially when they saw the men run out of the rendezvous towards the shallop to recover their guns, the Indians wheeling about them. But some of the men, armed with coats of mail and with cutlasses in their hands, soon got their guns and let fly among them, which quickly stopped their violence. There was one big Indian, and no less valiant, who stood behind a tree, within half a musket shot, and let his arrows fly at them. He was seen to shoot three arrows, which were all avoided. He stood three musket shots, till one of them made the bark and splinters of the tree fly about his ears, at which he gave an extraordinary shriek, and away all of them went. The men left some of the party to guard the shallop, and followed the Indians about a quarter of a mile, shouting once or twice, and shooting off two or three guns, and then returned. They did this so that the natives might not think that they were afraid of them. Thus it pleased God to vanquish their enemies, and give them deliverance and by his special providence, so to dispose that not one of them was hit, though the arrows came close to them on every side, and some of their coats which were hung up in the barricade were shot through and through. Afterwards they gave God solemn thanks and praise for their deliverance, and gathered up a bundle of the arrows and later sent them to England by the captain of the ship. They called the place the First Encounter. Then they left, and coasted all along, but discovered no likely place for a harbour, so they made all speed to a spot which their pilot, a Mr. Coppin, who had been in the country before, assured them was a good harbour, which he had been in, and which they might fetch before night. Of this they were glad, for the weather began to be foul. After some hours' sailing, it began to snow and rain, and about the middle of the afternoon the wind increased, and the sea became very rough. They broke their rudder, and it was as much as two of them could do to steer her with a couple of oars. But the pilot bade them be of good cheer, and said he saw the harbor. But the storm increasing, and night drawing on, they carried all the sail they could to get in while they could see. Then their mast broke in three pieces, and the sail fell overboard in a very heavy sea, so that they were in danger of being wrecked. But by God's mercy they recovered themselves, and having the tide with them, struck in towards the harbor. But when they came to, the pilot found he had mistaken the place, and said the Lord be merciful to them, for he had never seen the place before. And he and the mate were about to run her ashore in a cove full of breakers before the wind. But one of the seamen, who steered, bade the rowers, if they were men, about with her, or they would all be cast away, which they did with speed. So he bid them be of good cheer, and row lustily, for there was a fair sound before them. And he did not doubt but they would find a place where they could come to safety. Though it was very dark and rained hard, they ultimately got under the lee of a small island, and remained there safely all night. But they did not know it was an island till morning. They were divided in their mind. Some wished to stay in the boat, for fear there would be more Indians. Others were so weak and cold they could not endure it. But got ashore, and with much ado, made a fire, everything being wet. And then the rest were glad enough to join them. For after midnight the wind shifted to the northwest, and it froze hard. But though this had been a night of much hardship and danger, God gave them a morning of comfort and refreshment, as he usually doth to his children. For the next day was a fair sun-shining day, and they found they were on an island secure from the Indians, where they could dry their stuff, fix their arms, and rest themselves and give God thanks for his mercies in their manifold deliverances. This being the last day of the week they prepared to keep the Sabbath there. On Monday they sounded the harbor and found it fit for shipping, and marching inland they found several cornfields and little running brooks, a place, as they supposed, fit for a settlement. At least it was the best they could find and considering the season of the year and their present necessity, they were thankful for it. So they returned with this news to the rest of their people aboard the ship, which cheered them greatly. On the fifteenth day of December they weighed anchor to go to the place they had discovered, and came within two leagues of it, but had to bear up again. On the sixteenth day the wind came fair, and they arrived safe in the harbor. Afterwards they took a better view of the place, and resolved where to pitch their dwellings and on the twenty-fifth day they began to erect the first house for common use, to receive them and their goods. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend